Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the news and issues shaping the state. In this episode, we talk to Jennifer Garrett Hart, a small business award winner who's built a successful construction company despite the challenges she's faced as a woman in the male-dominated field. Then we dive into the economic and cultural impact of a new stadium for the Kansas City Current, the city's first professional women's soccer team. My name is DC Benicasa. My co-host Ian Laird joins me once again. How are things for you this week? Been a little bit under the weather, but I'm doing well. I'm sorry to hear that. Maybe a little business brief can remedy it. Who knows? Yeah, let's see if it helps. You ready to start with headlines? Of course. What's the first one you've got for us? The Consumer Price Index released Tuesday shows prices increased by 8.5% over the last year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is the largest increase in four decades and is driven mostly by a 32% surge in energy prices. Food prices have also increased almost 9% since last year. As the economy continues to recover from the pandemic, businesses have struggled to fill job openings and buy enough supplies to keep up with the surge in demand. This has caused supply chains to stall, and the combination of slowing supply and increasing demand have caused prices to explode. The Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point last month to curb inflation, but the central bank is expected to continue raising it going into next year. A Republican-led effort to block Medicaid expansion advanced to the Missouri Senate Wednesday. Members of the Senate Appropriations Committee voted to add a constitutional amendment that would ask voters to decide whether to permanently extend the program or allow it to be subject to annual appropriations by the state legislature. In 2020, Missouri voters approved extending Medicaid benefits to include 275,000 low-income Missourians, and Democrats are criticizing this amendment as an attempt to reverse voters' decision. However, its future is uncertain because lawmakers opposed to the reversal initiative could block it with the filibuster. Nordstrom confirmed speculation that they will not be occupying a space in the Country Club Plaza in Kansas City. The clothing retailer initially planned to relocate from their Oak Park Mall location in Overland Park in the fall of 2023. The plaza terminated the deal and reportedly looked for other retailers, including Target and Dillard's, to occupy the space. The plaza has struggled recently with attracting and retaining businesses. The Nordstrom deal was previously delayed twice, and several other retailers have moved out of the plaza. Kansas City news outlets also reported this week that Drake Development proposed a change to a planned project near the plaza that would triple the height of a multi-tenant restaurant building. The previous three-story design drew ire from residents, and many believe the new proposal is a tactic to bargain down to their original height. And in national news, lawmakers are pushing to bring billions in funding to restaurants and small businesses hurt by the pandemic. The Independent Restaurant Coalition estimates that 80% of restaurants that did not receive funding from the Restaurant Revitalization Fund face permanent closure if owners do not receive aid. The U.S. House approved a bill with $42 billion for restaurants, but it only received support from six House Republicans. The lack of bipartisan support indicates that the $42 billion in funds likely doesn't have enough support in the evenly divided Senate to pass. But Mississippi Republican Senator Roger Wicker and Maryland Democratic Senator Ben Cardin proposed a similar bill to provide $40 billion to restaurants, so the aid could still arrive. 
For our first segment, reporter Skylar Rossi sat down with the winner of the Small Business Administration's 2022 Missouri Small Business Person of the Year, Jennifer Garrett Hart. Garrett Hart is the owner of Heartline Construction in Kansas City, which he founded in 2011. The company brings in more than $1 million of net revenue annually and employs more than 60 people. As a woman, Garrett Hart has faced challenges building her business and working in the male-dominated field that many men have not. Here is some of Skylar's conversation with Garrett Hart. So you just won the Small Business Administration Small Business Person of the Year Award for Missouri. Congratulations. Um, what does winning that mean to you? Oh, um, it's an honor. It makes me feel that um, people telling me I could not do it um, and that Heartline could not do it, that we've done it, that we, we have survived the pandemic. Uh, we've survived. Uh, actually, I, I put it back on Heartline Construction because if our employees were not strong and and were not um, um, did not know what they were doing, we would not be successful. So I can bid all the work and get all the work that Heartline Construction can do uh, um, successfully. But if it's not for the the employees. We're not going to succeed. I know Heartline's involved in the Kansas City International Airport expansion. Uh, tell me more about that. So um, in 2019, I took a phone call um, from Clark Construction, and they were looking for certain WDBE companies um, that self-performed to be enrolled in their strategic partnership class. I wanted to get to know Clark and I knew the airport project was coming up and I wanted to be involved. Um, so I uh, was able to be successfully enrolled in that strategic partnership class, got to know a lot of the people at Clark White's Clarkson, but mainly I got to know the people in the class. Um, Heartline successfully graduated from that program, developed some very good networking um, and uh, working with them before the project even started. One of them was over at KCATA and it was just a very successful uh, relationship with Parish and Sons. So after we did um, uh, receive the first proposal to bid, it was on the safety carpentry package and uh, we were successful and we began working on the job site in 2019. Um, and we are still providing safety um, as way as, in the way of carpenters on that job site. We'll probably be on that project until the end of this year. Um, switching gears here a little bit, um, you've mentioned navigating a male-dominated field. Um, how did you break into the field and how have you um, navigated being a woman in a male-dominated industry? So um, I began uh, drafting class in high school. I was one of, uh, of two women in that drafting class in high school. Uh, I went in because I wanted to learn how to draw. Uh, at that time, CAD was not available. Um, it was on, but it was all a male-dominated field, including the teachers in it. But it's what I wanted to do, um, and I guess it was a natural-born talent. I just liked doing it. I knew I was a female, but I really liked doing it. I liked seeing how buildings got put together, why they got put together, which is what drove me to go to Kansas State University and get my degree in architecture. And no, it wasn't easy. I mean, as a female in that field, uh, there are a lot of there were a lot of teachers that said, "Oh, we'll get her out." Um, that didn't work. I, I did graduate with uh, under 10 other females that year. Um, and we went, all went on to successfully get jobs. And all of us are still working in architecture, which is great. Uh, 
what happened with the pandemic was I was working for a private company, not the pandemic, excuse me, the recession. I was working for a small private company and they were the, they were the hardest hit. I eventually got furloughed, but that's when I started working for a construction company that, that obviously was not hit. Um, and then I, I, I realized that I'm still right back in this female world of construction, um, this female that's working construction in a male dominated world. Again, just had to prove to them that didn't want to be underestimated, that females that are educated and have 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 a have taken the time to learn about construction. Um, give us a chance. Uh, chances are we really do know what we're doing. What's your advice for women entrepreneurs, either in construction or really any male dominated field? Something that you've learned along the way that you want to share? You know, I think that females just need to know, um, and it does happen. Um, So many times we get that door slammed in our face and told you can't do it. No, you can. And especially if you want to do it, uh, dig your heels in, um, have that determination to prove them wrong. Uh, I I mean, an example I can tell you, and it's, um, I don't bring it up a lot, but uh, a mentor that had been helping me out at the very beginning of my construction years uh, was getting ready to retire. And I asked him, what can I do to really push it forward? And his advice was change my sex, be a male. And I just thought, no, that ain't going to happen. Hasn't I, I am Jennifer Hart. I'm a female and we're going to make this happen. If anything, it made me dig my, my heels in deeper and say, we're going to be successful. Um, and then what's next for Heartline? Um, just continuing on, trying to find that next niche. And to going back to that answer on other, other females on, on how to be successful, just don't find the next niche. If you, if you find a door closing on you, uh, figure out, research, what's the next niche? One thing Heartline did was we made our uh, the ability of what we self-perform to be deep. Um, uh, we had a project where we had some carpenters come from Florida and they do, they do um, tile work down in Florida because of all the pools. So we had carpenters start doing um, small tile jobs. Uh, so we were able to develop that nice code of uh, carpenters. Uh, the flooring, if it's a small scope, expand it and see, see what, the next, what the next thing you can do. So I say, don't get pigeonholed in one thing. Think of what your next opportunity can be. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat and absolutely thank you for our next segment we turn to kansas city where the new national women's soccer league team the kansas city current has been generating excitement among the community reporter jack knowlton took some time to dive into the team's plans for the future and how that community excitement has manifested into economic growth for the area we are the kansas city current A new name, a new crest, and a new stadium on the way. It's been an exciting week for local women's soccer fans. Last year, the Kansas City Current kicked off their inaugural season as a member of the National Women's Soccer League, the top women's soccer league in America. In 2021, the Current announced plans for a stadium to be developed on the Berkeley Riverfront near downtown Kansas City. The location for the estimated $70 million project not only provides a home for the new franchise, but an opportunity to further improve a developing area of Kansas City. Chris Long is a co-founder and co-owner of the Current. He says the riverfront was a perfect fit for the future home of the team. That kind of iconic site on the river, again, surrounded by an urban environment and one which we can really impact um, the future of that area. Um, I mean, 
you know, it's not often you get to uh, change the skyline of a city, right? And this is doing that. A stadium along the Berkeley Riverfront was previously not possible. Christian Purvis is the senior development manager for Port KC, the port authority in charge of the land along the riverfront. He describes how the riverfront used to be anything but a possible location for a professional stadium. There was old coal gasification plant with a smear zone and spilled hydrocarbons. All of that had to be cleaned up and capped. There was buried rubble. This was the old car tow lot. They dumped the roof of the Kemper Arena here. So you're talking a massive dumpy site that was derelict and was not economically productive to the city of Kansas City for literally generations. The riverfront has come a long way with Port KC having developed smaller retail projects and various housing developments. But Purvis explains that the stadium can provide a huge boost to present and future projects and has already increased interest in development of the area. It's moved pretty quickly and we're happy about that. So we see a lot of um, development that was going on and developer interest before the stadium arrived. Since the stadium has been announced publicly, we've had, you know, maybe fivefold, tenfold interest in additional development around Kansas City's riverfront. The stadium is a first of its kind, not only through its impact along the riverfront, but for women's soccer as a whole. The stadium is set to be the first soccer stadium purpose-built for a National Women's Soccer League team. Long says ownership wants to provide the best facilities to top athletes who join the current. We didn't really think it was that much of a statement. It's been received, you know, domestically and internationally as such a, such a, you know, big, big statement on our part. But for us, it was just sort of like this no brainer that you've got these amazing athletes, right? The best players in women's soccer, they're in our backyard and you put proper elite facilities in place for them to train and enjoy and flourish just seemed like that was just a natural, natural thing. In trying to accomplish these ambitious goals of creating a one-of-a-kind stadium for these world-class female athletes, the current have turned to Sporting KC, the MLS club in Kansas City, which Long says provides a valuable model for what KC's newest soccer club can become. When Sporting rolled out, uh, at the time it had a different name. Today it's Children's Mercy Park. It's about 10 years old. It was really a game changer for their franchise from not only fan engagement, which they do an awesome job at. And, they, and that's another area where we've, we've had learnings as well, but not only fan engagement, but uh, also they um, were able to create great corporate experiences, bring in more sponsors. They, and they really kind of control a lot more of their destiny. Um, so we saw that, you know, we, we thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to emulate, you know, that, you know, in our, in our own way, but certainly with the same, um, you know, level of, of intention that they did. Growth can also come in the form of drawing in top talent to the current. Ben Goss, a management professor at Missouri State University, emphasized that to help the current continue to grow, they can use Sporting KC as a boost for interest in the current, and their facilities can be used to draw in popular players to the franchise, which would increase fan turnout. Hopefully they can still take advantage of some of that, because I'm sure there's still uh, enough buzz to, uh, to, to take advantage of with uh the new phenomenon particularly if they get uh some recognizable names uh maybe from the national team uh to play there uh and some other uh international superstars long hopes that like the riverfront the stadium can become a place for the community which is able to host other sporting and non-sporting events ultimately allowing more people to experience the evolving berkeley riverfront you know the pitch will be heated uh, all through the winter months as well um, and, um, 
you know, with, with the way we, way we design it, we're also hopeful to have community events. Like, you know, we don't know what that necessarily means, but is that whether it's graduations or again, just ways to engage, ways to get people in the stadium, ways for people to, you know, use the riverfront in, in, in a manner that they may not have historically. Long is hopeful that developers will break ground on the stadium later this year, which means the current may take the field at their new home by the start of the 2024 NWSL season. Time to move into our words of the week. Ian, what do you have for us this week? I've chosen sponsor. Do you want to explain a little bit more? Yeah, so with the recent collective bargaining agreement for Major League Baseball, one of the terms of the agreement allows MLB teams to add a sponsor to their jerseys. Okay, this is similar to a lot of leagues, correct? Yes, a lot of soccer leagues have had this model for quite some time now, and the National Hockey League and National Basketball Association added the ability to display sponsor logos recently with the NHL making the move during the 2020-2021 season and the NBA doing so in the 2017-2018 season. Who is going to handle the negotiations for these deals? Each team will be individually responsible for the 4-inch by 4-inch logo that will go on the sleeves of their jerseys starting in 2023. The league is also looking at adding helmet sponsors, but the league office will handle those negotiations. How much revenue will teams get from these deals? Estimates place the aggregate revenue for the 30 teams between $450 million and $500 million, which would break down to about an average of $15 million for each team. What's your word for this week? My word is restaurant. What's going on in the restaurant industry? We talked earlier about the record inflation in the American economy. Well, restaurant checks are reflecting this trend too. A U.S. Department of Agriculture report projected that the cost of dining out will rise 6.5% this year. That is more than double the usual annual rate, and is a result of increasing costs across the board. What has caused restaurant prices to go up? The Russian invasion of Ukraine has further inflated fertilizer prices, making it more expensive to grow food, and the invasion has also caused transportation costs to spike due to rising gas prices. The supply side issues aren't alone, as businesses are seeing similar pressures on the demand side. What are some of those concerns on the demand side? Restaurants continue to see a surge in patrons, with customers returning to eating out as vaccines become more readily available. Many of these customers also have money that they are ready and willing to spend because of historic wage gains. I know when you couple diminishing supply with an increase in demand, it's going to lead to higher prices, so this makes sense. It'll be interesting to see whether consumers are willing to go out and rack up higher checks or if they choose to cut back and stay in to save money. For sure. I know I'll probably decide to stay in more, but we aren't all cheap college students, right? And with that, we head to our closing thought. Here is Jennifer Garrett Hart, the founder and CEO of Heartline Construction, talking about how important she found business classes to be to grow her company. Many companies in town offer uh, business courses for construction, WMBE, DBE companies. Um, One thing that I did not have in architecture school was a, was a strong business background of classes. So when I decided to open up Heartline Construction in uh, 2011, I jumped into any class I could get in business. One of them obviously was the fast track class through Kaufman. Anything SBA offered, MoDOT offered, KDOT offered, I was in. I needed to learn QuickBooks, I needed to figure out how to keep Heartline Construction uh, viable uh, for the future, especially um, making that five-year, then 10-year 
anniversary, which so often small businesses don't go beyond that. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing the music for this episode. For my co-host, Ian Laird, assistant producers Kaylee Anagita and Christian McDonald, and editors Kelly DeRook, Jack Knowlton, James Marshall, and Wicker Perlis, I'm DC Benincasa. This has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. 